You guys, I'm so excited today to share this episode about surviving and redefining your definition of success. I know a lot of times we kind of get stuck in this definition or this box that we put ourselves in of what is successful. And if I only get these things, then I will be successful. Well, Marita has kind of gone through some things in life that have really allowed her the opportunity to um, kind of redefine what she feels like is success in her life. And I think will be really beneficial for you to hear today. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Welcome to the surviving life podcast where everyday people share their stories of inspiration and hope through their challenges. This will be a reminder to you that there is always hope when you feel hopeless. There's always light when you feel surrounded by dark. And there is always a way to live in your life instead of exist in it. We are all survivors of this life, and this podcast is meant to inspire you to go out and live your best life. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. What's up, survivors? Welcome to another episode of Surviving Life. I am so excited today to be here with my new friend, Marita Wade, and she is the director of the development and community relations at Abilities First. And we actually met through our pageant system. Um, I think most of you guys have heard on, on other podcasts, I'm part of the prime pageant system. And so is Marita. And we are so excited to be here today chatting a little bit about kind of redefining your definition of success. Marita has a great story um, to share of kind of how she found herself and is loving herself and and just being her best self. And I love her. And we had such a great chat um, that we had to get her on the show. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Queen. I am so excited that you're here. After I got off the phone, um, the last time we talked, it was like a week ago. Um, I was just so happy and just so filled with like, yeah, let's do this. And you have such a powerful story um, and such an amazing, uh, you know, platform and and job that you're doing now. But it didn't start that way, right? Oh no! <laughs> so tell us a little bit of a little bit of the backstory, and then we'll kind of catch our catch everybody up to kind of what's going on now. Woo! You know, when you first start out, you have this perfect plan for your life. And, you know, we were, we're part of the generation that you go to school, you get a good job, you get married, you have kids, you pay bills and you die, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, in order to, you, you have a straight line planned out. But what we fail to realize is there's so many twists and turns and bumps in the road. And um, so... My, my story is still unfolding. It is still not that perfect dream that I had, but you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm learning to embrace and enjoy the journey. So um, I'm currently the, the, um, currently the director of development and community relations at Abilities First Foundation. And I never would have thought in a million years that I'd be working in a nonprofit serving children with disabilities. I went to school, um, got a degree in public relations, ready to tackle the world. And I'm supposed to have this high-powered executive C-suite job. My whole thing was sex in the city, right? In the, in the <laughs> skyscrapers in New York. 
<laughs> yes. And then you up on the 67th floor and you walk to work in your tennis shoes with your cup of coffee. And you know, you're just successful. You got a penthouse. And yeah, it didn't turn out like that. <laughs> I think that was my dream at one point in time too. I, I told my parents one time I wanted to be a lawyer in New York because I wanted to wear business suits. <laughs> what? Like, I had that, I had that same vision. <clears throat> so it doesn't turn out that, that way. You know, I'm trying to climb the ladder in corporate America, running into one roadblock after another. <clears throat> Excuse me. And what do you know? Um, I'm volunteering um, on a nonprofit board for a child care agency, and they needed an executive director. Now, I don't have a baby to first. <laughs> I got 13 nieces and nephews. I love them to pieces. <coughs> I'm so sorry. It's okay. I took one in my throat. Um, but I don't have any kids. So, you know, I, I, my background is human resources, insurance, payroll, those things. So they're like, well, we need an executive director. I'm like, oh, y'all really want to trust me with somebody's kids? <laughs> I mean, hey, I know that my gift is not to be in anybody's classroom, but when I walked through those doors in 2019, I fell in love with those kids. They got me sick. I was sick for like six months. Nobody <laughs> told me that these were babies with right. petri dishes. Um, but ever since I've just been, I have been fulfilled and know that I am really and truly doing something that I love even though it's not in the capacity that <clears throat> that is in a classroom, I'm in a position where I get to raise awareness um, about um, the agency. I get to advocate for families um, and I get to raise money to support these families. So I get the best of the both worlds. I get to mm -hmm. support the work, but I also, you know, get to go love on the babies as I can. Yeah. How do you think that um, taking that position and switching over from your kind of corporate lifestyle, climbing that corporate ladder like you talked about, and then going into this position, um, did you feel like, because we talk a lot about re redefining your definition of success, did you feel like it was like you were not successful when you moved into that space or like you wouldn't be before, maybe not now, but like when you first took that spot? Well, no, because the thing is, um, so I worked at my last job before I actually went into um, the child care field. Um, I had finally landed this job. So I kind of had my sex in the city experience in downtown Cincinnati. Okay. I was on the 14th floor of Cincinnati Bell, and that's where um, I was a benefits administrator, you know, making, you know, a decent salary, great benefits. Um walking uh, at least a half a mile every day up this hill. So, you know, I have a <laughs> cup of coffee, have my backpack on. So, you know, I got my dose of that. Mm -hmm. So it was opening day and I was on the 14th floor and I could look outside and I could see the um, opening day festivities. And, you know, what should have been a fulfilling experience, like, oh my God, you finally arrived. I looked at that window. I was like, God, this is not it. There has got to be more. Mm -hmm. um, and not saying that, you know, the, the background that I had didn't help people, you know, because benefits and payroll that, hey, you don't mess with people's health insurance and you don't mess with their <laughs> paycheck. Okay. That's true. So 
I'm helping out, but something just, it was just a different level of satisfaction um, when I actually started to move in, in the arena of, um, you know, ch- children's services. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, one, one thing that has really changed in my mindset is I define success now as walking in my God-given purpose. And I know that my purpose is to give people hope, remind them that there is hope. And even as a even as a benefits administrator, payroll person, I spent a lot of time talking to people through life situations. And I felt like I was a counselor sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, it was in those moments that I really felt alive. So when I hear these babies laughing, when I see these families finding solutions to be able to chart the course for them to have a better life and put their families in better positions, that's something that that's a life force for me. Yeah. Do you think that part of that was just um, luck, divine intervention, that this position kind of came into your life and was able to fulfill that need? Or did you even like think that this was a possibility? Was this even on your radar? Cause like you said, you, you, you weren't necessarily a mom at that time, but you had a big family um, of kids and stuff around, but like, was this what you were expecting or did it just come out of nowhere? It came out of nowhere, <laughs> <laughs> honestly. Um, but you know, um, one of the, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is in his heart, a man plans his way, but the Lord orders him his steps. And I think that's in Proverbs. And I had all these grandiose plans <laughs> and I just pictured God just laughing at me like, mm-hmm, I hear you talking <laughs> and you're going to keep running into these closed doors until you sit still and listen to me for direction. And I, I I just remember like when I um when I walked in the doors of the child care center that I was an executive director for, um, I felt at home, I felt at peace. And even, you know, even when I switched jobs because the pandemic happened, of course, mm-hmm. and um and then I went back home for a year and went back to what I knew, insurance. Um, but when this job came about, um, it was it was truly a blessing because I had met um one that I had met the director of the child care center um at Abilities First. And she and I, we we instantly like had a bond um because we were both directors at the time and we were going through a course um called um diesel developing early childhood leaders. And <coughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. COVID shut that down. But we stayed in touch and the, the her boss had basically redefined this position. And she's like, oh, I got the perfect person. You need to talk to Marita. I'm like, how in the world am I ending up in this? But then I walked in there and met the people and seen the work because we work with children of all abilities. And when I was actually doing my child care courses, um, I, I felt a turning in my heart for children with disabilities. And, you know, and realizing that it's in 1965, you know, there was really no legislation to educate children um, with special needs. And Abilities First was founded because there was no place for their children to go to school. 
Mm-hmm. And it turned into adult services for, you know, adults with disabilities. There's therapy, there's autism learning center. So all of these amazing things happening under this one roof. And I'm like, geez, I get to be a part of this. Yeah. So it excites me every day, even in the middle of chaos. Um, <laughs> it's still, it's still worth going in every day. Yeah. Do you think that um, any of, we had talked before, any of your earlier childhood experiences yourself played any kind of role in like making this so fulfilling? Absolutely. I remember in um, second grade, and and that's a long time ago, (laughs) but I I just remember um, I had, I was having problems um, with reading comprehension. And um, I think it it may have been like going into the third grade. They um, the it's achievement test. I hate cheap achievement tests. I'm not a good standardized test taker. Mm-hmm. Um, so I scored low in reading comprehension, and they tried to put me in special reading. And I think I was I lasted all of two weeks. I was so offended. Um, well, because. The other, so it it was a label, yeah. And I did not want anybody to label me again in my life. So every summer, until um probably until high school, because you know around high school you get busy with sports and you know all of that stuff. But I would spend my summers reading. Um, I think I read every Danielle Steele novel. Probably shouldn't have been reading those. As a <laughs> um, but expanding my vocabulary, expanding my reading comprehension, because I did not want to be labeled. And I I do think that because (laughs) of that label that was tried to what that was almost forced onto me, it fuels my passion and desire to not um, to not have children ever in a situation where they're labeled. Um, Because one of the hashtags that I use when I manage our social media page is called um, Disable the Label. And, you know, our children, they are more than their medical diagnosis. You're more than your past. You're more than a trauma that you've been through. And that's what I want people to see when I'm presenting, you know, the job that I do when I'm out in the community, even when I'm just meeting a person you know, just randomly, you are so much more than whatever it is you're facing. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely love that. That disable the label is amazing. And something you said that you are, you are more than your label. And I think a lot of times our brains want to put things and unfortunately probably people into these boxes that we can understand like, oh, if it's this type of thing, then it's this. And and it's a good and a bad thing about our brain. It's not good when it comes to people. It's it's fine when it comes to like, you know, organizing thoughts and like facts and things like that. But when it comes to people, I think that's where we get into a little bit of trouble. And um, becoming more than that label, disabling that label, I think that's huge. And um, just personally, we've just been dealing with a little bit of that with our um, one of our kiddos um, here it was really, really hard, um, because she was having some struggles in school and then got a a quote unquote label and was really trying to figure out how to navigate that without the, you know, stigma that comes with that. And, and so I really definitely feel 
um, we've got to do a really good job about that. What do you think some of the best ways to do that would be? Well, so one of the things that I am so fortunate to be a part of at this point um, in um, in the Cincinnati area, they have um, this training called a school board school. And basically, they're taking people through the process of how the school board functions and seeing if, you know, they can build a pool of people that would actually want to um, be a part of the school board. And I got accepted into the class. So I'm really excited. Oh, yeah. Give me just a sec. Yeah. That sounds awesome. And like something that's a lot of fun. Well, and the, the unique thing about it is, is that I bring a unique perspective because I, you know, because of the job that I have and the children that we serve. And one of the things that we have to be able to do, um, we have to reframe our thought processes because, you know, we automatically think that because someone may have some type of disability that they cannot learn. They can learn. Everybody is capable of learning something. They just learn differently. Right. So one of the things that we have in childcare, um, in that industry, early childhood education, childcare, just sound like we're a bunch of babysitters. That's not. (laughs) Hey, I was in Um, that for a long time. I know exactly. Absolutely. We can drop that label real quick. (laughs) Because are because these these workers these these um teachers they are teaching our babies yeah and they have more of an impact on your child's life than actually you do because you're at work yeah. eight to ten hours a day and these people are taking care of your children and teaching them um so when um when I think about um the kids that um, that I've that I've had the privilege of being, you know, over. <clears throat> one of the things that really bothered me was the fact that, well, I, and I can only speak from an Ohio perspective because that's where I am. Yeah. Um, is that there aren't a lot of resources until the child gets to preschool age. Mm. Well, you can determine that this child may need additional support and resources prior to that. Now I know that some things are later and they don't manifest until they get to those ages. But personally for me, we were able to predict some things and look at this child and see that okay, we need to get we need to get some more supports in place um before they go into they go from this small pond to the big big sea, big ocean, and they get lost in the shuffle. So by the time something's identified, they're already defined with a behavioral problem, which isn't the case. Yeah. So we have to reshape our mind um, and reframe our way of thinking about, um, I wouldn't even say that it's a disability, but we have to just reframe the way that we look at people and just see people for who they are and be able to create things that that accommodate them and that will help them be successful. Yeah. And and recognize that everybody we're all unique. I mean, we have our past experiences, we have our current um, you know, way that we learn because it's it's different for everybody and we have, you know, the way that we view the world is is kind of unique to maybe the person down the street. And so I think with all of those pieces involved, it is really hard to, um, to, 
I don't know. I just, I guess I just feel like a lot of times we just, it's easier for people to just quickly label something than to really, truly, um, you know, take the time to figure out what the best needs for that individual person are. Yeah. And I see that because, you know, just from the experiences that I've had with, you know, my friends that are teachers, they're so stressed out. Yeah. You know, teachers do not get the money nor the credit that they deserve. Yeah. Oh, I'm just, you know, I'm like, God love these teachers that go into these, these battlefields every day. Yeah. Um, because the thing is, (laughs) is that you have a curriculum that you have to teach. You have the standards that you're accountable for, for your school district or whatever the case may be, um, and achievement towards test scores and all of those things. And if they don't meet a certain mark, then that's a reflection on you and all of that. But then you're not, you're not exactly equipped to handle the trauma that's walking through the door. Yeah. You know, so in order, there's five aces. And in order to get that child to a baseline, you got to battle through three to five different things. They could be hungry. They could be homeless. They could be in a domestic violence situation. So they've got these guards up and then you spent the eight hours a day working the guards down and then it's time for them to go home. Yeah. Well, then they come back in the same battle. Back up. So yep. it's not the fact that the child can't learn. It's just that you've got to get them to a point where they are to the point where they're calm enough and feel safe and secure enough to actually be able to process the information that's being given to them. Yeah. So that's just an ongoing battle. And I, I won't get on my soapbox because I'm not <laughs> in the classroom, but I am for the teachers. <laughs> I, I think that's so important. As someone who was in the classroom for a long period of time, um, I was in family service, early childhood education, all that stuff for almost 15, 16 years, something like that. And that's really, truly where I started my, my career journey. And I remember that it's, these kids are in survival mode. And what I know about survival mode from personally experiencing it on my own level and watching all these kids that I worked with and families that I worked with, they can only think about what's going on right now. They're not thinking about um, too far ahead into the future because it's, it's survival. It's literally, I got to figure out what I'm going to eat today. I've got to figure out where I'm going to get you know, money in my pocket today. It's, it's very much in the, in this very second, sometimes minute to minute kind of thing. And when you're living like that, it is very hard to put that guard down and relax enough to let somebody in and share all those things with them. And like you said, they go home and it comes back up and it just takes this period of time where we have to almost just show them consistently. We're going to show up. We're going to show up. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be here. Still going to be here. Even if you push me away, even if you don't like me, still going to be here. And then eventually you get that one day where they come in and they're like, okay, I will tell you, or, okay, I will do whatever. And that's when we see some of that progress, but it is, it is a process for sure. For sure. Um, so I'm curious as to how, this now fits into the pageantry and like, what made you get involved with that? Was, was the pageantry first or was this a result of what you're doing um, now? Like how, how did that come into play? Well, this actually kind of happened simultaneously. Okay. Um, so um, I actually, so my, my, um, 
my regional director, Dr. Angela Rivers Harper with Northern Valley um, American Beauties Pageants, um, which is a, which is an entity that is under Royal Productions, which has American Beauties Plus, American Beauties National. Um, we've got the National Sorority Pageant coming up this weekend. Nice. And um, we have American Select Veterans. Oh, I have to, girl, I have to tell you about the veterans. We'll, uh, we'll put a pin there because <laughs> they were amazing. Um, prevailing Queens and Princess Pageants. So we have this whole umbrella of pageantry. And when I met Dr. Angela, um, we worked together. And she was plus size and just absolutely fabulous. She was modeling. <coughs> Excuse me. She had actually just began her journey in pageantry. And I was like, I need that type of positivity in my life. You know, just so confident and self-assured. And I watched her from afar for about four years because we worked together in 2015. So mm-hmm. it was 2019 when I actually decided I was going to sign up and um, become a part of the system. And so I sent her my money to compete in the state pageant and I was Miss Mrs. Ohio American Beauties Plus. And when I submitted my application and paid her my money, I had a whole meltdown. Like, what did I do? Because <laughs> <laughs> this was a bucket list item for me. Yeah. I always wanted to be a part of and be in a pageant. Um but you know, watching Miss USA and Miss Universe and Miss America. Those girls don't look like me, you know, and I, there is a place for everybody. And I just knew that that place was not for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when I got involved in, you know, American Beauties Plus, there's a whole network of pageantry out here. Had no idea. I didn't either. I had no idea. I thought there was one system. And right. they're like, yeah, no, that's not true. And I was like, what? That's crazy to me. I was, there's like hundreds. Apparently I was like, Really? Huh. It is. Who knew? And then there's a whole market for a full-figured woman. Yeah. You know, because I mean, not all of us are size two. Right. And and you know, and that is like the standard of beauty and all of that stuff that's pushed in your face that everybody's talking about. And you know, and the truth of the matter is that's not real life. Yeah. You know. Um, and it has so many women in an unhealthy state of being because they're trying to achieve this unattainable standard of beauty. Yeah. Yeah. So when I got involved, it was a bucket list item and I was already doing community service because I was part, I'm a part of a sorority. I'm a part of several community service based organizations. So working in the community was not something that was going to be, Oh, that's right. Um, that wasn't that was going to be a problem for me and this is not working we're going to turn that back off um so i went on i won mrs ohio and then we went to compete in nationals now we competed in june and then had to go to nationals in october so i had a quick turnaround time okay and the encouragement the empowerment like the person that you see right now is not the person i was in 2019 and yeah. I love that. So when I competed at nationals, um, it was, there were eight of us in my division and they called my name as the winner. Now I, these ladies, now some ladies were first timers like me, 
But the majority of these ladies were seasoned pageant ladies and, you know, business owners. I mean, just powerhouses. And they called little old me as a national title winner. And I was like, I was just happy to be there, you know? <laughs> um, so that took on a life of its own. And then, of course, the pandemic hit. So there was, a, I had an 18-month reign. And um, it was just absolutely amazing. The people that I met, the service opportunities, getting to um, connect with different queens and their platforms and mentoring new queens. I mean, that has just been absolutely amazing. So after my reign as a division, um, a division winner, um, I came back. So you're put in this pool. You're not exactly in another competition, but what happens is every queen that is a division title holder, um, they are in this pool to become outstanding queen. And it's the highest award for an outgoing queen. So the infamous picture that everybody takes the night that they win, you're sleeping with your crown and your sash on. <laughs> See, I didn't do that picture. I was still in shock that I won first. <laughs> but I took my picture at the end of my reign before I crowned my successor. And it was just like, you know, hey, this queen is getting her rest. I'm crowning my successor. I'm off to the sunset. And what do you know? I go back up there and they give me another title. So I was <laughs> the outstanding queen. Had another year reign. And then um, throughout that, <coughs> throughout that, um, I got a chance to mentor new queens. Um, I was actually invited to become a contestant liaison. And, you know, just working with the contestants, keeping them encouraged, because I mean, sometimes it's a long journey to get to the national, um, to the national stage. Yeah. So when my reign was up this time, then I had this major life transition and, you know, I share that with you. I'm not really ready to share that sure. you know, on a public platform, but I needed crime and I had liked some stuff. Oh, yeah. I've been following because I had met Kaylin. Um, she, um, was, um, Miss, um, Miss for America. And I thought that she was so awesome. So I started following her and then I seen that, um, she was going to be doing a speaking engagement for, um, the Girl Scouts, um, a club, um, a unit, Girl Scout unit up in Toledo. Well, I'm a Girl Scout. <laughs> so I said, Ooh, let me see if I can get some of my sister queens together. And they, they were sponsoring a tiara day. And um, we actually sponsored like 15 of the little girls, you know, paid for their supplies and stuff. So everybody could participate and get a tiara and earn a badge and all of that good stuff. So when Kaylin actually became a director, you know, I'm following along. I'm like, oh, this looks like it's nice. Now, mind you, I wasn't planning on competing again. I, you know, I'm just like, you know, this is nice. I support where I can. <laughs> Bucket list check. Right. <laughs> And in the middle of all of this, um, Kristen reached out to me and she said, are you, are you still a title holder? I'm like, well, no, not still a title holder. Kind of on a sabbatical. <laughs> and when, you know, when I started to dig into crime and, you know, see what it was really about, I realized that this is something that I need in my life at this time. 
this is definitely something that's going to help me keep focus and 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 take me to the place that I'm actually trying to get through through this personal storm. So prime is actually a blessing for me. It's not even so for me, it's not even so much as about the competition or the possibility of winning another title. It's really just about getting to the nuts and bolts of who Marita is as a person without any titles, without any prestige, but just really getting to the root of who I am and then fully embracing that. I think that is very, very powerful. And I... I think I can relate to that in my own journey when I had cancer and I lost all my hair and I used to think, you know, all these things about myself and, and it very much was like stripping me of all the things and just allowing me to be down to that foundational purpose and just rebuilding that, that, that new house, so to speak, um, with whatever I wanted it to be instead of whatever everybody else wanted me to be, or everybody else said I had to do, or, um, you know, what, what another person felt was the right move or whatever. There was a lot of time in there that I didn't really choose my own things. It was other people's, um, you know, choices that, that navigated me and, you know, it is what it is, but I think having all of that stripped away and being so down to that core of yourself and being able to build that back up again is huge. And that's where confidence comes in. And I think that's why you have so, um, so much amazing confidence about you. You just have this air of like, I got this, you know, like, I'm not worried about it. Yeah, this is hard. This sucks, but I got this. And I think that that's, I think that that's part of it. When we get stripped down to that piece, it, it really does truly allow us to define what we feel like success is, which is exactly what you've done in all these different steps of your life. You know, I, it's been a journey, Holly. It really has, because, you know, like I said earlier, we're taught that, you know, success is boom, boom, boom. You take this step, you take this step, you take this step. And then, you know, and when you really look back and you look at you know, some people that, that, you know, that may be close to you in your lives and you really look, take a hard look, they wasn't happy. Yeah. You know, they just did what was expected of them to fit into this little box. And, you know, I'm at the point in my life where I've decided the box don't work for me. Nope. (laughs) You know, and I wish that I had this 10 years ago. Yeah. But, you know, we're going to wish upon a star. Should have, could have, <laughs> But the thing is, is that at least I recognize it now and I'm taking steps to step outside of the box. Then to consent and to then to spend the next 10 or 20 years of my life trying to fit in this box when I know I don't. And I think that is the key right there. What you just said. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter, you know, what has been going on in your past, where you came from, what what terrible traumatic things you've gone through and it doesn't matter, you know, that age at all. I think that that's kind of why I did this pageant. Like I want to show people that just because you're 40 plus years old doesn't mean you can't go do these things. You might think it's weird, but I don't care. Like I wanted to do this as a kid, never got to. Now I have a chance. Guess what? I'm going to go do it. And I don't, I'm not going to fit in that box of what you think a 40, 40 year old person is supposed to do or be. And you were not going to fit in that box of what, you know, that sex in the city lifestyle 
you know, <laughs> that, that didn't work and that's okay. And it doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter um, where you came from. It's the mat. It's matters what you choose today to do going forward. That's the point I think that is the, the most powerful piece that once we figure that out, we're going to be unstoppable. Absolutely. And that's the thing we, we, we have to get to the point where we are not living by unspoken expectations Mm -hmm. because, you know, women, we wear so many different hats. We're wives, we're mothers, we're career women. Um, If you know, if you're in ministry, you're a pastor or pastor's wife, you know, we wear all of these different titles, but when you strip away all of that, who are you at the core? Because I'm learning in this stage in my life to take off all these different masks, you know, and really deal with the trauma, the unhealed trauma from my childhood that had me create these different masks to put on, you know, just to survive another day. And, you know, and I, and I had to forgive myself. I had to apologize to myself, you know, um, because we show up for everybody else. And I would show up in full force for everybody else, but I didn't show up for Marita. Marita was always on the back burner and she, because she was going to be okay. Yeah. Well, in theory, like, you know, you have this beautiful public persona. Oh, you're so inspiring yourself. And it's like, but I'm not even sure I believe, you know, I'm not even sure if I believe this to be true for me. And if I can't believe it to be true for me, then I am not giving you my authentic self. So in order to be able to do that, I've had to sit still and I don't like to sit still. Girl, I am all gas, no (laughs) Same. It's like we got to go. And And in this season, I've had to sit still. And, you know, even during the pandemic, I know that it was so tra- traumatic and tragic in so many ways for many different people. But for me, I needed things to come to a screeching halt because I looked at my calendar, um, January, February, and March leading up to, you know, the pandemic and everything closing down. I was going from sun up to sundown. Yeah. And I'm like, even though it was great work and, you know, moving the needle and being that force of change in the community, it was all good. But at the end of the day, just because it's a good thing doesn't mean it's your purpose. Yeah. So that time gave me an opportunity to sit down and really, <coughs> I am so sorry. My sinuses <laughs> have been killing me. I appreciate you. Keep going. I love, I love it. Oh, it is Poor thing. Um, to sit down and really think, what is my purpose here? And then strategically choosing those things that align with my purpose, because there is nothing wrong. There's nothing worse than getting to the mountaintop and realizing you, you, you climbed up the wrong mountain. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I was at. I was like, oh, I got to, you know, reset. <laughs> I don't want to be here. Right, yeah. right. 
So it, it's just really been um, self-discovery. People think that, you know, healing and self-discovery, oh, it's just such a beautiful experience. Well, the end result is beautiful. <laughs> But when you when you messed up and your lashes is all off on your face and you didn't cried all your makeup off and you sitting and you just trying to don't know what if you're going or coming, those are the things that people don't want to be real about and tell you about. You know, you know that everybody is always focused on the end result and not realizing that the journey is the reward of getting there. The finding yourself, the uncovering those new treasures in your life, um, but yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a journey. I, it instantly makes me think of like a butterfly and how they start off as this caterpillar and then they go in this little cocoon and all these things happen and you don't see anything except this ugly looking cocoon. And then all of a sudden you see this beautiful butterfly come out and you're like, wow, that was amazing. You don't have any idea all the work that happened internally that that made that change happen. And that's kind of how we are and how I see us as people like we, you know, I look at like overnight successes. Oh yeah. Overnight success after 10 years, you know, <laughs> like, or, um, you know, all these mate, Oh, you're so confident. How, how do you, how do you do this? How do you just like get up every day and do all this? Well, that's because I've learned because I've gone through all kinds of horrible things that have forced me to learn lessons from them. Well, I guess they don't force you to learn the lessons. I choose to learn a lesson from all of the things, whether it's a good thing or a not so good thing. I'm going to take a lesson from it because I don't want to do that again if it sucked. (laughs) And I do want to do it again if it was cool. So I I definitely will take some kind of lesson from that. And then I can grow and growing is hard. Like I had kids, they had growing pains. They cried every time they had growing pains, their muscles were growing and their bones and all that. And they cried and they cried and that it it's ugly. It's messy. And I think it's supposed to be that way. I really do. Well, the thing is, is that you, you can't, you can't appreciate the beauty of something if you haven't had to clean up the mess. Yes. You know, when you, if you think about, okay, so think about <coughs> <coughs> Your first major purchase as an adult. Now, you know, some people are way more privileged than others. But I remember when I bought my first, my first big girl purchase, purchased me a car. It was in my name and I paid the note and I paid my car insurance and all of that. Now, don't get me wrong. I was always grateful and tried to be responsible with whatever, you know, my mom got me because it wasn't easy to come by. But it was a certain pride. It was cert. It was a certain mm, when you when you do it yourself. Yep. And if you don't, if somebody always hands you things, then you don't appreciate the value that goes into it until you have to go get it yourself. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, I think about like even when I was a kid, I had to babysit these kids because I wanted a certain brand of jeans. And my mom and dad didn't have the money for it. So I would work and I would get my money for that. And now that I have kids, it seems I've shifted the pendulum the other direction to where I don't want them to have to work for those things because 
I'm like, that was really hard for me. Right. Like that was a, that was a tough time to not be able to have those things. So I want to give my kids all these things. And then sometimes you give them too much and they have no appreciation for it and think that that's just how the world is. And it's not until I didn't see that until like relatively recently when um, I had my daughter help out with some stuff. And she's like, wait, I earned all that money and I just have to give it to the cheer people. And I'm like, yeah, welcome to my world. You know, like that's, that's how it works. It doesn't go in your pocket. <laughs> like, And so it, it definitely is a, it's a, def- there's something about earning your stuff, paying for your stuff. And that whole trip was different because she had to do that. Um, and I thought I was being the worst parent in the world by making her do that because I didn't want what to happen to it's so weird how we do that's just so weird. We, we don't want our mistakes or our challenges to be on our kids, but at the same time that made us who we are. And that's exactly right. I mean, I know that like, I, like I said, I don't got no kids, but you can tell the kids that get everything that they want. Yeah. And it's like, if you say no or wait, it's a whole temper tantrum falling out, rolling on the ground. And it's like, okay, you literally just had to wait another five minutes. (laughs) It's not the end of the world. Yeah, Luckily, mine aren't like that. (laughs) You know, I will say that, excuse me, what really shaped my perspective, I am an only child. I grew, my mother, um, my mom and... I'm so sorry. You're right. <clears throat> My mom and dad split when I was, I think, maybe three or four. Um, and she never had any kids. So I grew up an only child, you know. Um, my grandma, my aunts. I mean, I was the first grandbaby. And so when I tell you that I was spoiled rotten, <laughs> my granny would make food for me and wouldn't bring my mama nothing. And she would be upset. <laughs> I, I tell you this funny story. So <laughs> we live next door, right next door to each other. And when mama would try to get me to do chores, I went over to my granny house because I knew I didn't have to do anything over to granny. <laughs> and my granny came over once because mama had told me to wash the dishes. And I went and told my granny, granny, mama told me I had to wash the dishes. Don't you know my granny walked over there and told her it is too hot for this baby to be washing <laughs> dishes. <laughs> Oh my gosh. That is awesome. (laughs) I was so rotten. So what I will say (laughs) is that when I, when my mother got hurt and I had to end up, you know, becoming a caregiver, it really taught me the value of life. Yeah. Um, You know, cause it's, it's traumatic that your parent leaves home walking and then the next time you see them, they're hooked up to all of these different machines and you're told that they're not going to walk again. And your life literally changes like that. Um, but it also taught me the value of taking care of what you've been given. Because when you go from, you know, a parent that is working and there's a weekly paycheck coming in, you really don't have a concept of okay, she's working really hard to earn this money because, I mean, it just comes in, you know, every week there's a new check, right? So 
you learn, I learned the value of taking care of what I've been blessed with being a good steward. Um, you know, some, uh, I, I, you know, even now, like some of the clothes that I've gotten, um, I take, I, I take care of my stuff so I can give, I can bless somebody else with it. Now it didn't always start out like that. Let's be clear. But, you know, I was always raised in a way that if you take care of what God has blessed you with, then he can trust you with more. Yeah. So I understood that. But then the other thing that I understood is the weight. And, I, you know, patience is a virtue. <laughs> I mean, I will not ask the Lord to give me no patience. No. Because that means that I got to go through some stuff and life is already hard enough. Oh man, no way. When you go from a weekly income to a monthly income and understanding how you have to stretch things to make them work, you know, I I I I don't get the $120 Air Maxes. I may get the $50 Reeboks. Or if I want the $120 Air Maxes, now I know they much more, but you know, we talking about in that 90s. Getting the East Bay magazines yes. and picking out shoes. Yes. Um, I may have to wait. And it may just be that I get that at Christmas. Yeah. You know, where my mom may have had to piece together and save up to, you know, get this thing. But when I turned 16, I got my first job. I've been working since I was 16 years old. And and you know, and haven't looked back from that. Um, because if there were things that I wanted. Then I knew that I had to work for them and I didn't want to put um, an unnecessary burden on my mom to provide all of these things, knowing that our income source is limited to that one check a month. So you got to pay all your bills. You got to get all the food you're going to get. You know, you got to take care of everything in one swoop because there is nothing else coming in. So that really, like, really framed my mindset and how I think about things and how I view things. And I learned to appreciate what I've been blessed with, regardless how big or how small. Yeah. I'm curious if that, because that's very similar in nature to the way that I had to grow up and, and I had to work for the things. And if, if there was a big expense, they would have to plan that and figure out how that was going to happen. My dad was an entrepreneur. So as you may, maybe you don't know, but the entrepreneur uh, budget goes like this, <laughs> like roller coaster. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and so there was times when there wasn't any, and then there was times when there was some and um, never tons, but you know, whatever. But I wonder if that is what shaped even both of our, our mentalities on like, um, I have to take care of everybody else. I have to make sure everybody has all these things. If there's enough left, I can have some. It's that I, I'm curious if you think it's that mentality because um as as you were talking, I'm you know thinking about my own life and I'm like, I'm the same way. I wonder if it's because of this, like this you have to stretch the stuff. We have to make sure everybody gets what they need, what's most important, and then we can have the fun stuff after that, and then. I get whatever, whatever is left, or, you know, so to speak. I'm curious. Yeah. You know, when you put it like that, I mean, because. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I really don't think it's a bad thing. I just, I'm curious if that is where that mentality stems from. 
you know, I think that it does definitely play a part. Um, you know, our family dynamics and how we grow up, they definitely shape us into the people that we are and the things that we adopt. And, you know, I, my, my background, you know, I I started out young age caring for people, you know, and didn't, you know, too much worry about me because guess I was going to be fine. Yeah. Not realizing that, you know, just internalizing a lot of trauma and things, Um, you know, it'll be 30 years, um, this October, um, that my mother was injured 30 years, you know, and you know, I'm, you know, I'm looking back, I'm like, Ooh, I've been around long enough to have something happen 30 years now. Right. I can, I can still hear Bobby Brown singing Tenderoni. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> so yes. oh, going wow. back to that um it does <laughs> it definitely does shape your view of the world and how you view people the people in your life that you care for and even the way that you view yourself yeah and I yeah. think when you don't deal with that unresolved trauma it will come out eventually you, it your body stores it um, it will not let go of it until you let go of it. And so if it's 30 years later, 40 years later, 50 years later, and you start getting diseases or, you know, mm-hmm. you know, issues inside your body. And a lot of times they kind of stem from some of the stuff. And I had a gal that was a brain researcher talking about this. And there's a couple of books called the body keeps score that I talk about all the time that our body doesn't forget these things. And when we're finally able to start releasing them, and I think like in the space that we've gotten to, as we've gotten older, we kind of get to the space of like, okay, I think it's okay to release some of this now or to, to go through it again and relive it a little bit. So I can feel like I can let it go or I can resolve whatever needs to be resolved. And maybe some of it's never resolved, but I feel like as we age, our body does remember, and it's not going to let go. No, our bodies do not forget. Well, one thing that I will, you know, what I I will say to that is, you know, being an 80s baby raised by someone born in the 50s, and then she was raised by somebody born in the 1920s, (laughs) you know, um, there was a mindset that, you know, you just, you, it, it, I, I equate it to being that boxer and, you know, you're just in that corner, your back is against the ropes and you just taking punches and taking punches and taking punches. And you're just supposed to continue to take the punches. Well, that mentality ha- is passed on. So yeah. we are not taught, at least I can, uh, for, in, from an African-American community perspective, we not talk to open our mouths and say things like this is going on. This is stressing me. This is bothering me. Um, therapy is not something that is widely embraced. Now there's a change in the dynamic, but I think that generationally, and, yeah. you know, as I've, you know, talked to, you know, a more diverse group of people, I was like, oh, I'm not alone. Your people thought this too. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and it was just amazing to me because it's like, don't talk about your problems. Yeah. 
happens, what goes on in this house stays in this house. Well, you know what? If you don't open your mouth and say something, then that thing continues to hold you hostage. Yeah. And the way that those previous generations coped with trauma and stress, yeah, they were strong, they were resilient, but they were also unhealthy in how they and how they handle things. Yeah. I mean, my grandmother had high blood pressure and high cholesterol and <clears throat> all of these other things. And I just wonder, you know, being and you know, being born in the early 20s of the last century, yeah. how that actually shaped out into the medical conditions because she had Alzheimer's. Yeah. You know? Oh, I guarantee. I mean, I I, can't, I guess I can't guarantee it. I'm not a doctor, but I I would Bet absolutely. I mean, so all of these things are interconnected, but how how we actually don't don't stigmatize mental health, you know, because we're seeing, I, you know, it's just been so amazing to me over the last 20 years, just seeing the the uptick in suicides yeah. and the hopelessness that you have to be rock bottom and devoid of any type of hope to take your life. And even just recently, um, the 2019 Miss USA, um, Chelsea, um, what was her name? She was, um, Miss, um, uh, Miss USA DC. And then she went on and won the, the big pageant. Okay. I forget what her last name was, but she was, she won, um, Miss USA. She, uh, was a correspondent for entertainment tonight had an amazing life on the surface. And when she committed suicide, she jumped from like the 66th or 67th floor of, of a high rise in New York. And, you know, just thinking like what mental state was, had she been in? Her mom said that she battled depression, you know? Um, and the stigma that people put around that <laughs> about getting the actual help that you need. Yeah. It's still not something that's widely addressed. So you have these babies that are getting bullied that um back a couple years ago here in Cincinnati, there was a seven-year-old that took their life from being bullied in school. You know, so we have to we have to learn how to deal with things. I mean, there's certain lumps that you're just gonna have to take in life. That's just life. But when we're talking about, you know, unresolved trauma and all of those things, like get therapy. Yeah. Um, I remember um, when my when my mom came to live with me permanently, I had you know, gotten out of school and gotten a job and got my apartment and all of this stuff. And um, she came to live with me. And I just remember, like, I went to the doctor and my doctor was like, um, I'm, I want to give you an antidepressant. Oh, girl, I was so totally against that. I was like, we don't do that. <laughs> like, black people don't take antidepressants. What do you mean? And I was offended. But she talked to me and finally got me to relent. And those six months that she's like, I'm, you're not going to be on this permanently. You're not going to get addicted to it. Because I was drilling her with questions. I was like, I can't be no pill head. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And she said, 
I just need you to get to the point where the chemicals in your brain stabilize so you can calm down. You cannot live in this uptight, breakneck speed. You can't do that. It's not sustainable for you. And so those six months that I was on Lexapro, them were the best six months of my life. I was so calm, but you know, still feeling, you know, the different emotions and stuff because I wasn't a zombie or anything, but that changed my perspective on if you need a pill, if you need therapy, go get it. Yeah. You know, because I would much rather you take these pills than to be reading about you in an obituary somewhere, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's just kind of where we are as a society. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it probably didn't help in, in our 2020 to 2022, um, the isolation and, and people thinking that they're alone, you know, because we were very isolated for a while and everybody's situation was a little different, obviously. But um, I definitely think that um, that probably doesn't help matters when we, when we isolate um, from everyone. Um, Absolutely. I think you're like the ultimate survivor, you know, (laughs) I mean, like (laughs) you have decided that you don't want to be those things. You don't have to be those things that came with you from childhood. You don't have to, you can choose a different path. And I think that's, that's the main message I keep getting out of any, all of these things that you're talking about, whether it be your, your corporate America job to the the nonprofit world, whether it be the pageant world and, and coming back into that space and what that's done for you and how that can give back to other people. And, and all of this, it, it really, truly just, I think that's why it just screams like we get to decide what we want to be. And that really is a powerful message. And you wanted to give hope to people. This is absolutely doing that because I don't even know how many people I've talked to. They're like, oh, I'm too old to do this. I'm too big to do this. I'm too small to do this. I'm too whatever, you know, like insert the reason. And I'm sure they have one. We just feel like we're not worthy enough of that, whatever that thing is. And uh, I don't know. I just feel like we need that message of hope. We need that um, people to walk in their God-given purpose. We need people to just be who they were meant to be. So then, then we can start impacting other people's lives and it becomes like a spider web of awesomeness. Absolutely. You know, in this life, you're going to be too much or too little to somebody. Yes. Just don't be that to you. Yeah. You know, because one of the things, um, there's, there's so many different things that, <laughs> that women, you know, encounter. Um, I know for me, when I was playing basketball, I was really slender and athletic and toned and all of those good things. And then when I stopped playing basketball, well, genetics kicked in. You know, <laughs> I, had, I come from a family of, you know, the nice hips and the big butts and the big boobs and stuff, you know. It's totally in now, so you're fine. Yeah, well, it was, but it wasn't in about 20 years ago, girl. Like, what are you doing? But you know, I remember my granny, um, she was always trying to feed me because she told me, she said, You just look like a little racehorse. Come on and eat some of this cornbread. And 
she was always trying to put weight on me, right? And um, when I um, when I finally did start to pick up weight, um, I had stopped playing ball. And my granny, she had she had dementia. She was in full blown dementia at that time, but she had enough um, enough wits still about her that she was just patting me on my butt, talking about "Ooh, fat, fat." <laughs> I felt like I said, I guess in Granny's eyes, I have arrived now because yes. I have meat on my bones. <laughs> but then on the opposite end, my mom looked at me and she, you know, and she's like, You just let yourself go. <laughs> you just used to be so petite. And, you know, and it hurt me so bad because I'm like, you really don't understand what I'm what I'm going through in school and stuff. And you know, trying to make sure that I keep my scholarship and I'm working a full-time job so I don't have to call you and ask you for anything because I know you don't have the means for it, you know? Yeah. So I was really, you know, stressed out and it was really disheartening, you know, that am I not pretty anymore because I picked up some weight, you know? So I started to doubt myself and doubt if I was beautiful, doubt if I doubt myself worth. You know, but one thing I wasn't going to do was go on these crazy diets. I was still going to eat. When we were in college, um, my my two best friends and I, you know, they talk about the freshman 15. We <laughs> gained the freshman 15 by um, eating all the trash. No, I had a hot plate. And what, what, what I had, I had the electric skillet, the little oven, and then <laughs> she had a crock pot. And an electric skillet. And like, so we had all of these different appliances in our room. Like, <laughs> we had a little dorm refrigerator. So I would fix the macaroni and cheese and cornbread in my room. And she would fry the chicken over in her room. And we all got together. <laughs> oh, so yes. we eat, look, we were eating. And I didn't get in trouble because my RA, she lived right next door to me. And she liked chicken? Yes. She had a plate every time. So she was like, oh, you go ahead. We got, what y'all cooking this Sunday? Let me put something in on it. You know? <laughs> I think, I think that what you hit on there is that need that we have sometimes for perfectionism. And when we chase that perfectionism of what somebody else's expectations of us are, we're always going to lose because we didn't put them on ourselves. Somebody else put them on. And no matter what expectation you were chasing, whether it be, um, you know, a thin body and a basketball scholarship and all that, or, you know, eating and, and putting on weight and like, we're never going to be that. Like we have to stop chasing perfection. I guess that's, I think that's really what it is. We we're never going to win if that's our end game, if that's our goal. Absolutely. What, what I found was, in you know, in examining myself during this season, that perfectionism is a trauma response. Yeah. Because, you know, when when children go through, you know, traumatic events, my first memory was like my dad, you know, leaving my mom. And that was, you know, one of the things like, well, if I was good enough or if, you know, maybe I was bad and, you know, daddy didn't want to be with us anymore. So, how can I make myself good enough to not have somebody leave me? Or how can I be good enough to be somebody's choice? Yeah. You know, and on this journey of healing, I realized that, you know, 
as much as as much as our parents can hold us to unattainable standards, we can actually hold our parents to unattainable standards. Yeah. And, you know, coming to terms with mom and dad, they had their own demons that they had to battle. And they did the best with what they were equipped with at the time. 100%. And do you, do I absolutely, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that my parents loved me. My mom loved me and, and would move heaven and earth for me, but they're human and they have their flaws and they're going, and they're going to make mistakes. Okay. And sometimes those mistakes have a negative impact on the child that, you know, is in the crosshairs of that. And I mean, it's just, it's a vicious cycle of life, but that chasing perfection, that is just another mask that we put on that if I am perfect, if I am, I can show that I am good enough to be chosen. I am good enough and worthy enough of love. And, and we, and we end up doing things that don't necessarily make us happy, (laughs) but is to fill a void that we have. And and once you once you're able to heal that part of you, then you can take off those masks, you can put those things to bed because you have a healthy view of yourself. And that that starts with, you know, forgiveness. Yeah. That's a big piece to that have that has been a big piece to my journey to wholeness. I don't want to just be healed. I want to be made whole, you know, because healing, you can re-injure yourself. When you're made whole, those things, you can't be injured by those things, the same things anymore, you know? So that's what I'm chasing. I'm chasing wholeness, you know, and until I get to that point, I'm going to keep chasing because <laughs> if God does ever bless me to reproduce, I know my clock is ticking. <laughs> um, I don't want to transfer any unresolved trauma onto my child. I don't want them to have to fight the same battles that I had to fight because honestly, Holly, we probably fighting stuff that we don't even understand why we fighting it. And it had nothing to do with us. A hundred percent. Yes. Like I can't even say yes enough to that <laughs> because, and I was actually, I don't know if I was talking to somebody about this the other day or just thinking about it while I was on my walk. It's to me, it's like, I call them like generational curses because mm-hmm. they're things that people before, like our parents, our parents' parents, our parents' parents' parents, and, and way on back, they did the best they could with what they had, gave it to the next generation. They did the best they could with that. Then next one, next one, next one. And here we are. And I feel like at some point, some of these things that were passed to us were probably not healthy, like you talked about earlier. And we have to be the ones to break that cycle and that that curse, so to speak. I, I just call them, it's not really a curse, I guess, but like, I don't know. That's just how I look at it. Like, I'm breaking that. I'm not, I'm not passing that down anymore. This doesn't serve me. It doesn't serve my kids. It didn't serve all the people before me. We're going to stop that right now. And that takes a lot because when we don't know any different, it's a scary new world. It's a scary new thing. And we've got to deal with like some unfamiliar territory for a while. And one thing I will say about you and even myself is we're not scared. (laughs) We're not scared of a challenge. Like I'm not worried. Nope. Like, let's go. Like, I, don't, I might not like it, but we're, I'm not going to back down from it. Um, and I think, 
that's, that is the, that's the main thing there to me is like just breaking those curses and saying, I'm going to choose something different. I'm going to do something different today. Absolutely. And see, the thing is, is that when you recognize those things, is that me or you? Oh, you can see them. (laughs) Sorry. Somebody was calling me on Facebook message. I'm going to have to call them back. Um, But going back, you know, the, the, half of the battle is admitting that there is an issue because some people just want to hide their head under the sand. Yeah. And they're like, if, you know, if I don't acknowledge it, it doesn't exist. But (laughs) when you acknowledge that something exists, you start to take your power back. Yes. You know, and so often, you know, and that's why boundaries are so important. I am reading this book. Um, I'm co-facilitating a book study um, with through the Eve Center here in Cincinnati. Um, that's changes that heal. And one of the things that is hammering home is the importance of setting boundaries. Yeah. And I realized I did not have any boundaries. <laughs> I knew that I should. I knew that certain things just should not fly. But I wasn't equipped with the knowledge to be able to say, this is where this stops. And you're not going to knock down this boundary. This is my stance. And you're not going to convince me otherwise, you know, and when you don't learn how to have a healthy sense of boundaries, um, you allow people to define who you are. Yeah. You def- you allow, you allow people to determine the trajectory of your life. And when you acknowledge that there are some things in your life that this does do not sound right. This don't feel right. And you actually start to put down some roots to be able to make a change. It is unfamiliar, especially when you are making those changes and the people that are closest to you. Now, a stranger could tell you one thing and you just like, "Mm, I'm not listening to you, but your family say the same thing. And that thing cuts you to the core. Yeah. And it makes you feel bad, you know, that you're making these decisions that are different than what the norm is. And then you'll find yourself back on this hamster wheel, not making any type of progress. Yeah. Um, so it, it is just, I, you know, I know I say I wish I knew this 10 years ago, but 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to handle it. We wouldn't have been ready. I mean, you're, you, you wouldn't have been to the point where you got pushed far enough to like do something different. Right. I think, I think sometimes when our backs are against the wall and we have to fight our way out of the room, sometimes we can grow from that being in that too long. Obviously that's not super good either. Um, when you were talking about that, it reminds me of this. I don't know if it's an actual study or a story, but it's this old story that I used to tell and was told to me. And it's about monkeys and they're all in this like cage or like space, right? And in the middle of the cage in space, there is a large pole and it has bananas at the top of the pole and all the monkeys in there, there's 10 monkeys in there, whatever. They all try to climb the pole to get the bananas, obviously, and they get sprayed with a fire hose. And so they all come down. Nobody ever gets to the top and eventually they're conditioned to stay away from it, right? They don't want anything to do with it. Don't want to get sprayed. So they leave it alone. The bananas stay up there. So uh, then they decided to take the study a step further, put a new monkey in there. And the new monkey immediately goes to the pole, tries to climb up the pole. And all of the 10 monkeys in there come in and pull the monkey back down to save him from being sprayed. 
does not allow that monkey to get up there. And so he's like, okay, well, what if now we're going to put a new monkey in and we're going to take one of the old monkeys out? The same thing happened. The monkeys would pull them down. No monkey ever got to the top. Eventually they got to the point where every single monkey in there was a brand new monkey that had never actually tried to climb the pole, never actually got sprayed, but they left the, the bananas alone. They let, they never even attempted to do anything. And I think the moral and the point of that story is be the monkey that goes for the banana, even if everybody's trying to pull you down, even if they don't understand, even if they don't get it, um, because that they can't, they're not walking in your shoes. They're not walking in your life. They don't get any say and you climbing that pole. Absolutely. And that's one thing, you know, I think that, you know, playing sports and, you know, going through the training and the, in the conditioning that we um, went through the, just developing the overall mental toughness. Yeah. Um, I, I, um, I give my, my high school coaches, I'm coach Jimmy Chapman and coach Greg Russell, um, so much credit to the mental toughness that I have, um, practices were brutal. (laughs) (laughs) I know I played soccer. It was the same. Yes. Conditioning is brutal. Especially when you got in trouble. Absolutely. (laughs) What the lessons that I learned and the 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 fortitude that I gained, it's like there is just a motor inside me that will not die. I cannot lay down. You know, I have to keep fighting. But you know, the but the one thing that I've learned through all of this fighting is making sure that I'm fighting the right battle. Yes. Oh, that gives me you chills. Know. You know, because I mean, this is the thing, Holly, there are a million things that come at us and we could be fighting a war on all sides and losing, you know? So when you're spending all your energy fighting all these different battles, you're never going to get anywhere. But what I, what I try to do is when something comes at me, and, and I, I asked myself this question, is this the hill that I want to die on today? <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> because I'm like, is this argument is trying to prove my point going to mean anything a week, a year, a month from now? Yeah. You know, do you want to be right or do you want to be in relationship? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah, you can be right and you can also lose out on a lot of things. You know, so I, I just, I'm choosing wisely yeah. where I expend my energy and who I expend this energy to. And that energy has to be reciprocated. You know, I, I can't be the one that's always pouring out, pouring out, pouring out and not getting anything poured back into me. Yeah. And so that has caused me to reevaluate a lot of my relationships, a lot of the activities that I'm involved in, you know, and really, like I said, if it's not aligned with my God-given purpose, peace. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm I'm not taking it on. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that. I I think that is a that's an amazing and challenging thing to do sometimes as well. Um it's definitely hard and 
I know like with kids, we, they always say, pick your battles, pick your battles. And it's so true. (laughs) Um, But in life, it's the same. I love that I have the ability to fight my way out of a corner if I have to. But I also love the fact that I, if I, I really want to take a minute and evaluate, do I really need to get out of this corner or am I just making up battles just so I can keep fighting? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and not every battle is worth your, not no. every battle is worth the fight. It's no, like, it's a lot know. of energy. It's a lot of energy that you don't need to get, give to somebody else, you know? Right. Cause um, you know, I, you know, I think about, you know, the journey that you, you know, you said that you were on when you had cancer. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to focus in that, in that instance, you got to focus all of your resources and all of your everything into fighting this thing. Cause you trying to live. Yeah. You Which was really time. hard. You would be Girl, shocked at how hard that was. Not the treatment, not, not even that, like letting people take care of me, letting people take my kids, letting people bring me food. I'm like, I don't need your help. I don't want your help. I don't need it. Like I can cook my own food. And then finally, when they forced me to just take it and they just would take my kids or they'd bring me food and I'm like, I don't want this food. And then they would do it. And, and after a while, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much easier. And I, I got a break. And I could breathe and I could just relax for a minute. And then like, by the time it was done, I was like, are you guys sure you don't want to cook me dinner again? Cause it was really good. Like, come on, <laughs> come on. but yeah, it, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's well, like you spend all that energy. Cause you're trying to, you know, survive this. Yeah. You ain't got time to be dealing with <laughs> foolishness, know. you know? It was definitely one of those, like, it was, I feel like it was kind of God's way of saying, you need to take help from people. Sometimes you can't do everything on your own. And sometimes those lessons are hard when you have been doing everything on your own for so long. It's very, very hard to take that, um, assistance from, from anybody. And that's just how I, that's just how I was, you know? And I definitely, I'm a little bit better about that now. Uh, you know, I still have my moments where I'm like, okay, just take the help. It's for them. It's not for you. <laughs> you <know? Not> right. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. I don't know. Well, this has been so great talking to you and I could literally talk to you for hours. I feel like we are long lost sisters. Um, Absolutely. and I love it. Um, but I want to thank you for being on this show today. We'll definitely try to get you back on here for a follow-up and fig- and figure out what's going on in the next thing. We'll see who, maybe we'll do a little queen follow-up after all the, the September festivities are done. We'll try to get a bunch of queens on here and talk about pageantry in general. Like I, that's a whole nother podcast episode. Like I feel like we I hit on know. so many things, so many good things out of this podcast today. Um, but you truly are exactly what the show is all about, where it's taking more from your struggles than it takes from you. And that is literally what the show was created for. And you are one of those people. And so I appreciate that. And I appreciate you taking the time out to talk to me today. I appreciate the opportunity. It's always an honor to connect with other sister queens because I have a whole new pageant sister family now. <laughs> yes. so. It's like, oh, I get to spend time with these people and we're going to get to meet in person. <laughs> I know. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, okay. So is there a place that these guys can find you? Are you active on social media or do you just kind of do your own family thing? Like, do you have a space where you share any of this stuff? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So my, um, my Facebook page is um, Marita Lynn. It is um, M-A-R-I-E-T-T-E. 
and my middle name, Lynn, L-Y-N-N. I have an Instagram page. It's I am underscore Marita Lynn. Um, and it's all one word. And then I also have my um, public profile page, which is um, it's Dr. Marita, Dr. Marita Wade, HC, um, Miss Ohio Prime. Wait, how did I not know you were a doctor? I, I literally didn't even know that. Oh my gosh. Oh I've talked to you two or three times now and did not, how did I not know you were a doctor? Well, these, so you should have corrected me at the beginning. Be like, nope, I earned that doctor in front of my dang name. So I am pursuing an earned doctorate in um, Christian counseling, but I have been awarded eight honorary doctorates based on the service that I've done in the community. Eight? So, yes. <laughs> Yes. So that's where the HC comes from. Honors, um, honors, Corey's Corsius or something like that. It's, but it's HC. So whenever I have, whenever I say Dr. Marita Wade, it'll always have an HC beside it. And then once I, you know, once I, my earned doctorate is confirmed, then I will take the HC. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. Well, you totally should have corrected me. If I had a doctor in front of my name, I'd be like, excuse me, ma'am. Uh, Hey, uh, I'm a doctor. <laughs> like, oh my god. That's pretty cool. I can't believe I just found that out right now. That's a that's a good little surprise to end on there. Oh my well, thank you so much for being a part of this today. I appreciate you and I thank you so much, survivors. Have a fantastic day and see you next time. If you'd like to learn more about what we're doing over at Holly Boyce Fitness, please visit the website www.hollyboyce.com and you can sign up for a free weekly newsletter with fitness, food, and fun and mindset tips every single week right to your email inbox. And guess what? Because you would be a part of the VIP squad, you will have first access at all amazing new programs and new things that I'm doing. I would love to have you join me on any social media site. And again, I'll see you next time.